Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End, with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 14 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End, or if you want to contact us, then email InsideTheWestEnd at gmail.com. All right, now we're going to speak to Alistair David, who is one of the most prominent and exciting big theatrical choreographers in the UK at the moment. He's just made his West End debut as a choreographer of a musical with his big revival with Daniel Evans of Showboat. So we met up with him to hear all about that. And here's the chat we had. This is Alistair David and you're listening to Inside the West End. Alistair David, you are the first choreographer on Inside the West End. Yay! Thank you for coming to see us. Thank you for having me. Your revival of Showboat Mm. is currently storming the reviews Mm -hmm. in the West End. Mm. How's it going? Good, good. We're delighted with the reception of the show. I think there was a slight fear that because we've got such fantastic reviews in Sheffield, I think Daniel and I did worry that it, it, you know it would be a slightly anticlimactic reception in London. But in fact, we, we we think we've got probably more more five star reviews in London than we did when we were in Sheffield. So yeah, absolutely delighted, and it looks gorgeous in the new London Theatre. So yeah, it's going good. And at this stage, when it opened, uh, how long ago? About four or five weeks ago, did it, uh, was it press? Uh, April the 25th was our press night, yes. So as a choreographer, are you, are you still popping in at this early stage? Uh, yes, I've been in a few times, yes, because there's been some understudies have gone on, and um, so if I can, I get to see them and take a few notes, give my input. But actually, I mean, I, I'm not contracted to. That's uh, sort of my decision to, to, to do that, yeah. There's a certain amount of pressure when you get such lovely reviews that 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 quality has to be there every single night. And when you say lovely reviews, I mean, it's 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 pretty much literally five stars in every single major press that I've read. Like, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. How does that feel? And this is your West End debut? This is my West End debut as a choreographer. I mean, uh, yes, I've, had, I've done some movement on a couple of things, in town, but as a Western musical, this is my first Western musical, yes. Um, and, you know, to, to receive those reviews, it's amazing. I owe a lot to Daniel Evans, I have to say. I can't... Um, he, he definitely is... Certainly with this production, is definitely the, the, the genius behind the show. Um, his attention to detail, his pursuit of perfection... Um, is just remarkable and awe-inspiring and exhausting just to watch. He makes my work better because he's just so passionate and um, always, always about the detail. And you've um, worked with him before? I've worked with Daniel quite a lot now. I've done four big music, Christmas musicals um, in Sheffield, starting with My Fair Lady with Dominic West. We then went on to do Oliver, Anything Goes the following year, and then Showboat. All of those I've, I've collaborated with Daniel on. And is it a relationship that builds? Like, is it... 100%. Somebody once said to me, directors and choreographers should usually end up finishing each other's sentences. 
Sometimes when you don't, when you don't find that closeness, that's, that you really notice it. If musical theatre is about anything, it's about, certainly from the creative side, it's about collaboration um, more than any other theatre genre. We want to go back and talk about the young Alistair. Mm-hmm. Who were you as a child? A hyperactive, stagey, bouncy, effeminate little boy. And the staginess you mentioned, is that, was that yeah. learnt or your parents uh, into theatre? I think I sort of came out with jazz hands, really. Sort of came out of the womb with jazz hands. I was always bouncing around, started um, dancing at uh, around six, one of my... Neighbours mentioned to my mum that she took her girls to dancing. I went. There's no, there's no theatre in the family at all. Uh, my dad was a salesman. So I loved dancing. Before I knew it, I was dancing sort of six nights a week. I went to a stage school. I did a lot of telly and sort of adverts, and I was an annoying stage school brat. There was a TV show called Emu's Pink Windmill Show. You guys are probably way too young to remember or know what that is, but it was a famous kids' TV show in the 80s, Rod Hull and Emu, and um, they had these annoying stage school brats that uh, used to sing and dance every week. So I did a bit of that, and then I decided I wanted to be a, a, a serious dance training, so... I was um, sent to um, Elmhurst Ballet School, which was like a boarding school, like Royal Ballet type vibe, where you do like sort of double maths, then ballet, and then double science and tap. And, and how old are you? I was 11 when I, I went there, and I left at 17. Wow. Did you fit in? Oh, of course, yes. Uh, I'm very grateful to my mum for recognising that that was a school that, I would, that would work for me. And she also recognised, regardless of, of the talent that I showed, she recognised that there was something slightly different about me and that she couldn't possibly send me to the same school as my brother's, which was a bog-standard secondary school. Because I would have just been destroyed there. I would have been... Um, because I am... I was an extrovert. Never played with boys' toys. Always played with girls' toys and was always making up dances and doing putting shows on for the street and stuff. So, yes, going to a ballet school and stage school, I definitely, definitely fit in. So tell us about your training. So, so I didn't have the formal drama school, sort of arts ed, Mount View, three-year degree course, drama school training. I, I had a, a vocational training. We did a bit of singing, a, a bit of drama, but really it was heavily focused on dance. But in particular, classical ballet. We did a bit of everything else as well. We did flamenco, which I loved, tap, jazz, uh, all of that. But one of the, the reasons I, I think I've was so successful as a dancer and that I, I am the choreographer that I am now is because of the intense classical training that I had. That is kind of the only way to become a really accomplished technical dancer. You're, you're training, you're, you're an athlete, you're, you're training your muscles. I was doing two, three ballet classes a day plus a, a, other forms of dance every day. On Saturdays, it was my busiest day. I started at nine, didn't finish till seven. So intense, intense dance training. Do you look back on that period fondly? Very much. Yeah, I mean, when I left college, I had an awful lot to learn. I left quite young. I was 17, landed a part in Cats in the West End. Funnily enough, at the same theatre that my, my show is at now. Yeah, so when I went in as, at 17, I thought I knew everything and... Um, God, I soon found out I was very wrong. I, I, I kind of consider those two years in Cats as like an extension of my training. So what were those things that were so glaringly different? Well, I was a child. 
God knows what those boys must have thought of me in that dressing room, um, walking in at 17, thinking I knew everything, which I didn't. I was arrogant. I had come from a, I'd come from an institution where I was, I was the best. I was the um, given every role, every opportunity, put in the front. Uh, I'd come from that. I was a very accomplished dancer. However, did I have any stagecraft? No. Did I have much self-discipline? Not really. Those things I learnt on the job. And I think that's, that's what a formal sort of drama school three-year degree does give you. You had a really successful career as a dancer, incredibly. Um, and you transitioned into becoming a choreographer at the kind of age where your dance career, you have to, and obviously naturally... Start you, thinking about it. Yeah. Yes. How was that period? Uh, tough. Um, if, if I could have got, told myself... The, the net, how tough it was going to be over the course of however many years it was, I probably would have been too scared to do it. The, the, the realising that dancing was coming to an end, if I dealt with that side of things, sort of quite a few years after I'd become a choreographer, and there was definitely a moment where I realised that it was sort of something that I'd lost, most definitely, and that was something that I definitely had to address, which I have. I have no desire to perform. Do you remember your first day as a professional choreographer, your first day of rehearsals? Well, no, because it didn't quite work like that. I, right. I was sort of doing a bit of both at the same time. I was still dancing in the West End, I was still in shows, and I started teaching. That's how, that's how it all really started. I, I mean, at, at school, I won the choreography competition a couple of times and was always the one bossing everybody around when there was some sort of cabaret or something. I was always the one that, that ended up choreographing the steps. So I definitely had a, a, an eye for it and an interest. I started teaching because I thought, oh, that'd be a bit of extra money. And Where were you teaching? Bodywork company in Cambridge and Doreen Birds. And eventually I did a lot of work at Arts Ed. The teaching that sort of led me to sort of choreograph my... In fact, I do remember my first um, thing I ever choreographed, professionally, if you like, even though it was for a college. It was a number for Bodywork company in Cambridge. And it was, um, what's that number from Hairspray? The finale. Can't stop the beat. Thank you. Can't stop the beat. <laughs> yeah. And, God, it was probably awful thinking about it now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I think once I'd done that, that's when I got the bug. That's when I thought, oh, no, I could be quite good at this. This, this, this is going to be OK. Did you ever have those moments where you just think, what the hell am I doing mm -hmm. here? Where you're standing in front of a whole company, you know, the whole room looks to you, OK, what are we doing next? Yeah, thinking, I mean, that... that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, and that, and, that, and that was because of my inexperience, that, that I had those moments, definitely, where I hadn't prepared enough, I hadn't, I hadn't learned my craft yet, I hadn't learned my skill, I hadn't sort of found my choreographic voice yet by that point. I was still sort of discovering what it was like, what it meant to be a choreographer and stand in front of 25, 30 people and, and get them to do my stuff. Is that how one learns to be a choreographer? Some people's journeys are, go via the assistant route. Or some people have never, were never dancers. They, they, they just sort of went straight into choreography. I was never an assistant or a dance captain. Uh, I was never considered to be sort of the responsible, sensible one. I'm purely creative. That Everyone's journey is different. There's no real sort of come and learn to be a choreographer this way. It is trial and error. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the term dance captain. Could mm -hmm. you summarise what that is for people who aren't aware? So the dance captain is usually in the cast. They, once the show is up and running, are just in charge of all things choreography 
choreographic. I guess they liaise between the cast and the assistant choreographer. They can take notes and if there's a, a, a situation where there's many multiple people off from the show and there has to be a cut show, there has to be sort of a, sort of a rearrangement of the staging, that's usually down to the dance captain. What, what kind of person would you choose to be a dance captain? It's a really hard job, dance captain, because it's you're in the show and you also have to then give your colleagues notes. And finding that balance of being able to do that and still maintain a personal relationship as you would with any other member of the company and not rub people up the wrong way and deliver notes or restaging in a way that feels patronising or, or condescending to your, your colleagues. My dance captain, and she's my long-term assistant as well, Victoria Hind, She's looking after Showboat at the moment. She finds that, that balance really, really well, I think. You keep saying assistant as a choreographer. Mm -hmm. I genuinely didn't know that choreographers had assistants until I started doing my first few jobs. Mm -hmm. what, uh, we've just explained what a dance captain is. For you, what's your relationship with the assistant? OK, so, so when I when I'm start um, to work on a new, new project, I will spend the first period just by myself at home listening to the music, making notes. Some of those notes never see the light of day, but just, just really familiarising myself with the score and the ideas and just generating ideas. Then I always go into the studio with my assistant. We'll spend, so for something like Anything Goes, for instance, Victoria and I spent a good sort of eight days in the studio and we just literally sort of say, oh, what happens if I put my hand there and can I lift you up from that position? Oh, no, that looks, that looks hideous. Oh, 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 what about that? What about that? That shape looks good. Then we'll find something and then we'll video it. It's, that's really vital, that, that, that period for me. That's what I don't want to do in front of a company is go, um, um, <laughs> what happens if we do that? I, I, creatively, I, I, can't, I can't flourish creatively like that with, pressure, with that sort of pressure. With every project I do, pretty much with everything choreographed already, always subject to change. Because if you put it on people and you might go, oh my God, what the hell, that doesn't look... Because it's one thing doing it, you and your assistant. Yeah. Sometimes it looks terrible. So there's that sort of trial and error process to it. But generally I go to every rehearsal process with stuff in the bag. Talk to us about auditions. That's obviously your next stage in the process. Once you've got your choreography, once you discuss with yeah. the director what you're going for. Yeah, yeah. What do you look for in dances when you have auditions? I think every choreographer has um, a certain amount of personal taste when it comes to dances. I like quite technical dances because that's the sort of dancer I used to be and I have a, a real connection with the classical ballet training. It is hard. The, the, the hardest bit about my job when, it's, when it comes to auditions is it's usually a big negotiation between myself and the musical director, sometimes with the director as well, but if we're looking, if we're talking about ensemble, where then the acting um, requirement is slightly lower than perhaps principal roles, but really what we're employing them for is fantastic dancing and fantastic singing. Usually it's a, a negotiation between me and the musical director where he will be saying, really love this girl, she's got an amazing soprano, it's going to really work with the score, and I'll say, she can't dance. Or vice versa. So it's, it's that negotiation. So it's about compromise and it's about me going, okay, all right, 
I can make that work. Do you ever have to trade off, okay, yes. I'll, I'll exchange you, yes. the tall, 100%. dark, hands, uh, handsome guy for the short, blonde girl, we'll do that trade? 100%. <laughs> I've definitely had those conversations where I've said, all right, well, if I'm being made to have him, you're going to have to have <laughs> so, talk, so talking specifically about uh, auditions, right, is there, is there any particular behaviour which kind of turns you on in the room when you see people do certain things? Focus, pick up speed, Picking up choreography is really important, um, and, pick, and and finding my style, do, not doing their own interpretation of it, but doing my, what I've actually asked them to do specifically. I like somebody who 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 wants to be at the front and wants me to notice them. I I, I was like that as a as a dancer. I would have always push myself to the front. There's a limit to that. I mean, I don't want someone in my face. And Alistair David, what are your sins that when you see in the in in the audition room when you see somebody do that? That thing that just makes you go, oh, no, liked you up until you did that. <laughs> um, cockiness. <laughs> so there's a fine line between yeah, what I yeah. just said and, yeah. and um, dancers that do their own interpretation of my work. Dancers that, that, when I've asked for two pirouettes, give me four and then, then, then fall out of time. Somebody kicking their legs higher than I've asked them to, or just generally turning my work into something else. It means, it just makes me think that's going to be a real struggle throughout the entire process. And uh, I guess inappropriate um, clothing would be another one. People who come in, in, in to dance calls in... Such as? Clothing they can't move in, or... Girls, you look too slutty. Or... <laughs> Actually, I want to ask you something. Yeah. I remember somebody saying, uh, so I'm not much of a dancer, right? Mm. Um, and I remember somebody saying, oh, yeah, if you're going for a dance audition, wear like a football jersey and basically wear stuff that really makes it look like you can't, you're not going to be able to dance so that when you do do your little bit in time and you can't actually do a bit, they go, oh, actually, it was better than we expected. I think that was probably quite a good um, little tip, actually. So make yourself look as... Shit, I shouldn't have given away. Make yourself look as laddie and... Yeah, and yeah, yeah, like... yeah. You're going to have a whole Man United squad on the side <laughs> of the next audition room you do now. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday and if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. Whether you're using an iPhone or an Android or a laptop of some kind, it's easy to subscribe. Just open your podcast app. If it's an iPhone, then next to the logo for our show, there's a little settings wheel that looks a bit like a cog. Click on that and a few options down, it says subscribe. Or for Android, if you're using DoublePod, then click the subscribe button next to our logo. And of course, the best part is, it's completely free. Make sure you stay tuned right to the end of this episode, and you'll hear a clip revealing who's on next week's show. Now back to the chat with Alistair David. Some choreographers use the same dances over and over. Are you one of them? I like to discover new people. There are certain people I've used quite a few times. It's more about sort of feeling a bit safe actually and knowing people and there's always a risk when you employ someone new that that, that they're going to be a nightmare or they're not going to you know it's going to jar their way of working is going to jar um, you really looked at me when you said they're going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was really avoiding us inten- mentioning us working together. Yes, I thought I wasn't allowed to mention No, you're that. not. You're not. Just in case. Just in case. Sorry, as you were saying, uh, work with the same people. Um, yeah, I quite like to work with the same people. Um, but that doesn't always work out. And what, what, what are the qualities that make you want to work with people again? 
Well, I mean, if anybody who's who's worked with me will know, I I I I, I do like a bit of a giggle and a laugh, and I do like a bit of banter. I mean, Seven Rice for Seven Brothers last summer was just top draw banter with those boys. Um, I, I mean, I'd work with every single one of those boys again, just because that was great fun, and they delivered. They were able to do both. They were able to have a really great time. And deliver and respect me as much as they can also, you know, join in with the banter and cuss me. And, you know, I like night to work with nice people where it's easy and there's no drama. Your career as a choreographer, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of musical theatre, but uh, you've also done a lot of other things. You did the Robbie Williams did, yeah. tour, which I actually didn't realise until I properly went into the mm-hmm. research. That's amazing. Yes, I had a, a, a mad sort of six months... Um, came out of nowhere. They were looking for a musical theatre choreographer. And sort of three weeks later, I was on a flight to LA and I was in his house and I had this amazing, amazing, crazy, pinch me, is this really happening time. You know, then you sort of find yourself back at regional theatre again and it's all very different. (laughs) Money-wise, treatment, um, five-star hotels and first-class flights and, you know, all of that, but... But, you know, it's, um, it's good to be brought back down to earth because then when it happens again, if it happens again, I'll appreciate it. You know, if mm. it happened all the time, I think it would get a bit boring. So mainly you've done musical theatre. That's mainly what I do is musicals, yeah. Is there a reason that's the case? Do you, do you seek to continue that or would you like to do other things? I, I love... It's funny, actually. When, when um, I was doing the Robbie thing, everyone kept saying, oh, so is that, is that what you're... You know, do you want to do more of that? And, and of course, I'd be a, a, a liar if I said I didn't, wouldn't appreciate that experience again. And working with a, such a high-profile star was amazing. And the money was just fantastic. Of course, I would love a, a bit more of that. However, I wouldn't like to do it all the time. What I love to do is tell stories. I love to work with directors and, and focus on storytelling and... and um, Theatre's just so magical. My heart is in musical theatre, I guess. This is a question Mm. that we ask everybody. Is show business a game you need to learn how to play? Yes, up to a point. If you're talking about do you need to play a game, as in do you need to work the industry, up to a point, yes, I think you do. I think you need to put yourself out there. You can't just expect it to fall to you because it just won't, no matter how talented you are. There, it, it's a s- sad but true fact that talent will only get you a certain way. I think some people can do it too much and I think it can be detrimental when you sort of can become known as that, that that's all you do and that you, you're, you're sort of consumed by playing the game telling people how wonderful you are. But yes, I think you, you have to play a game of, some, of, of, of sorts. I love that honesty. I think it's brilliant to hear, to hear that because quite often people are afraid of, of, of admitting that. And I, I love that that's... Because from my observation, that is the truth, obviously. So it's great to hear. I think, I think it is the truth. I think it is. Um, there's, been, there's been many times where I've thought, where, where I've realised that, you know, of certain things that I would have loved to have come my way, certain jobs, and they've gone out to other choreographers. And I have to sort of admit to myself that, well, I haven't made myself known to that 
that particular director, producer, you know, that's, I, I could have done something about that, mm. you know. So um, there is a certain, definitely a, a certain amount of truth to that. Has there ever been a time when you considered leaving the industry? No, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I literally don't know what I'd do. Um, sometimes it is unfair, but then life's unfair. That's what I've sort of begun to realise the last few years. And the other thing I've, I've really started to realise is that it's a long game. It's a long journey. Things don't just come to you. Every, every, I feel like every part of my choreogra choreography career has been stepping up a ladder. And sometimes it feels like I'm stepping really quickly. And then other times I'm like, oh, God, I've been on this step forever now. Why am I not stepping up? And then, then you do. Take a couple more steps and then you feel like you're, you're there for a while. You know, it's a long, long game. Do you look ahead? Are you, are you constantly looking ahead going, you talk about being proactive. So do you look ahead going, right, I need people to come and see this because, or that director because I want to work with him? Yeah, I mean, I, I've just put together my new show reel. It's been forever in the making so that's you know there's that you, you always need to be doing something proactive and wanting certain directors to know who i am and because there's certain theaters i would love to work at and haven't yet because because what i do it's all about really about directors liking me and liking my work mm. and and them and producers but mainly directors because it's usually the director's choice they can choose their own creative team so and you do a lot of actor musician stuff. I'd, I've done quite a bit, yeah. which which choreographically uh, re restricts you a lot. If you've got someone holding an instrument or holding a trumpet, yeah, there's a di it's, it's a it's a di uh, entirely different sort of process um, because you are reliant on. Oh well, you know, Rob's playing. I forget what you play. Uh, the grade two clarinet and, <laughs> and uh, percussion on the one we did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, you're restricted by by lots of things, lots and lots of things. You're restricted by and making sense of picking up the instrument. That was always something that I think a lot of actor musos they think you can do any story, and it doesn't matter that you're picking up instruments. I would slightly, I would disagree a little bit. I think there's a limit to which story you can actually do actor musician work with, because I think you've got to make sense of it. You can't, you know. Again, all part of my journey and. Um, a great, a great skill to learn, really, and um, you're sort of constantly problem-solving. I mean, thing, places like the watermill, not only have you got the actor muso um, element, but you're also working on a stage that's tiny, 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 with no wing space. So you're just constantly problem-solving. You're just constantly saying, right, OK, so how do we get that on, and how do we make that person that's playing the violin there also do this tap solo, and how do we make sense of it? And how does she then come out of that and, and say, the, do the next scene? Do you enjoy that? Yeah, definitely. But it, it, it is nice when you, you, you go to the next level, when you, you have more space and more budget and more bigger cast, and, and of course. But you're never more as creative as you are when you're having to do things like actor museo shows at the watermill but there is a, a, a case to be made that the less stuff you have money facilities etc the more creative you have to be what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to anyone who wanted to work inside the west end go and see everything go and soak up everything good and bad it's also important to see bad stuff as well 
always maintain a self, a certain sense of self-belief. You will get disillusioned with the industry itself. And also be realistic. Certainly, I would say to actors and dancers, you know, know your casting bracket. Don't pigeonhole yourself, but know what's the reality of, of your journey. When it's good, it's really, really good. There's nothing like it. Unfortunately, it also works on the other, the other way, because when it's bad, it can be pretty, pretty miserable. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank that you very much for having me. Absolutely thrilling. And wonderful to have, have you as our first representation of the, the dance side of things. Thank you so much, Alistair. Thank David. you. Alistair, a massive thank you for coming to chat to us. Ben and I are not from a dance background, uh, but we've been really keen to get someone who is and who works in choreography uh, from the moment we started this podcast. Uh, If you're listening to this and you're thinking that you'd like to hear from more people from a dance background or any other department you feel that this podcast would benefit from, then why don't you tweet us? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you at Inside West End. Also, a massive thank you to you, our listeners. We have listeners all around the world, thousands of you out there listening to us. So get in contact with us. We love to hear what you think of the show on Twitter at Inside West End. Thank you to you guys who have already written reviews on iTunes about what we're doing. We really appreciate it. It really helps us keep the momentum going and keeping us in the charts. So thanks to you guys. Uh, Word of mouth also helps that. If you know anyone who likes theatre or likes listening to podcasts generally, tell them about what we're doing. Uh, We've lined up some really exciting guests for the upcoming episodes. So spread the word. Remember to stay tuned to the very end for a clip of the next episode. But before that, we make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. Now, as promised, we have a clip of next week's episode. We go backstage at Her Majesty's Theatre in the West End for the first ever Inside the West End podcast with a group. We have the men's ensemble from Phantom of the Opera. Here it is. It's Room 108. Is this uh, this constant looking for like interesting projects, things to do, is this a byproduct of being in the same show for a long time? As in finding other things to look forward to at work. Is that part of it? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, it's eight shows a week. It can appear to be repetitive. It's not, because we're always doing something different. Each show is different. But I suppose we look for something to stimulate us when we're in the dressing room. So um, if there's a leaving party, someone's leaving, we're the ones to do it. We write the script, we do the music, we, you know, big old stage show, isn't it? Um, and again, of course, the charity work we do. Um, it's Christmas such a fair. brilliant way to ch- channel creativity, I think, you know, yeah, d- generating yeah, money. Yeah.